Hello and welcome to E-Commerce Matters, brought to you by Black Curve. We help e-commerce businesses make pricing decisions. Today's title is Competitor Product Matching Explained. I'm joined by Dr. Rob, the TV installer Horton. He will tell you about that later. I'm Philip Huthway, the founder of Black Curve. And without further ado, Rob, shall we get pricing? Yeah, yeah. Why are you going to TV like that, man? <laughs> Well, when you start taking over the intros, you can uh, you can have a laugh right, at my expense. Okay, so challenge accepted. <laughs> you can do next week's one. How about that? Of all, of all the black curve related news we had to talk about today, you picked. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I could have said we announced a funding round. I could have said we did a product launch, but instead, I decided to uh, talk about your TV installation uh, escapades. Do you want to share for our wonderful listeners what happened? I don't really know what happened. I moved the TV and I put my back out. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, and I didn't actually. The really weird thing is, I didn't do it. Feel it doing it the TV, so I, I no idea. I think I did it. Um, I think I tore it earlier, and then that was the final straw. But enough of that. That's what aggravated it. So, well, yeah. Rob is doing a service because despite his back being put out, he is here, he is, <laughs> he is ready to use his voice box to tell us the wonderful things about competitor product matching. Um, so what, uh, what prop have you brought, Rob, to describe today's podcast? Well, I'll show you. Uh, I have got my camouflage jacket. Oh. So I can match and blend into my surroundings. You can't see me now, can Ooh. you? Oh. Rob is holding up a camouflage jacket for those of you who are listening. <laughs> and a very white painted room. <laughs> <laughs> so Where have you gone? I can't see you. you <laughs> it's just you were there a minute ago and now you're gone. Where have you gone? <laughs> uh, I like that. Do you want to see mine? Yep. Do, 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 do. do, do. Boom, 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 boom. A Tintin rocket. It is, is it? and it's other rocket ships are available. It's a rocket ship, okay, because there's many this is this is many levels. So so stay with me, Rob. So right. okay, not only not if competitor uh, sorry, not only if retailers get their competitor pricing strategy right, will they accelerate their growth and go to the moon. So I'm holding up a little toy rocket ship. Okay, so that's that's number one. Okay. Number two, today we're going to demystify competitor product matching. We're going to break it down. We're going to take the parts. See, it's a magnetic rocket ship, yeah, and you for, can take for, the parts the down. For context, uh, Philip is taking the rocket apart. It's pretty neat. You have, uh, if you're listening, go and watch the video. It's great. Yeah, go and watch the video. Yeah, it'll be on LinkedIn. This bit okay. will get clipped out. And, and I've forgotten what the third one was. Oh, yeah. The third one was... <laughs> After uh, I talked to my wife, who um, is a is a publisher and a bit of a wordsmith, uh, she said that uh, competitor pricing doesn't need to be rocket science. Hey, bada bing, bada bing, bada bong. So there we go, rocket ship and camouflage. Uh, I think we sort of passed the test for props today. I yours. <laughs> we'll have to keep a running tally. To, I was trying to find guess who. I know it's in the house somewhere, but I I just. Uh, I couldn't find it. I found Cluedo, other board game, like literally some really like random ones, but uh, ended up with a camouflage jacket. 
Well, I used to love Guess Who, so maybe we'll have to do a, a future podcast, just, just us playing Guess Who, shall we? We can make a product version. There we go. Oh, I'm going to get our marketing team on that. <laughs> Stop this top of the funnel. Stop top of the funnel. More important, we we've need to got, release a Guess Who board. <laughs> Well, we've got to spend the money on something, so why not blow the budget on a Guess Who board? So there we go. Yeah, I need 100 kits and a sticker printer, and then we're away. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be our best idea, but hey-ho, we'll keep, keep us entertained nonetheless. So let's go back to, uh, let's go back to the podcast. best idea, we're in a <laughs> well, hopefully it's uh, it, we have come up with some better ideas today. So that's the first. Let's see see if we get some more. So today we're looking at competitor product matching and explained. And I thought um, it'd be a great idea for us to just like peel back the curtain, um, uh, talk about you know the controversial topic. Actually, when we talk to a lot of retailers, there's there's frustration or there's uh, kind of there's a challenge to suppliers of competitor data of how do you know it's a match? I really want to make sure it's a match. There's a desire for, if you're making decisions off competitor data, for it always to be 100% accurate. Um, and so I thought today would be good for us to have a have a conversation around, you know, how does a competitor data supplier go about matching uh, products? So taking a product from from, from one retailer and, and saying, right, this other retailer is selling the same or similar Okay, and and just going through that process and sort of demystifying it a bit. So it's almost like a a one hundred and one kind of a, a, a talk about competitor product matching. So before we go into that, though, why I thought we were to talk about why uh, why do why are retailers concerned about getting visibility of what products their competitors are selling and what uh, what prices those products are being sold at. Rob, what's your what's your viewpoint or take on that? Yeah, it's really interesting i think actually so there's two things going on here there's like the understanding your marketplace and then there's also kind of an internal strategic positioning piece the thing i find really interesting when we first talk to people especially haven't gone far down this pricing journey is that they're either like heavily in one camp or another in that they are completely addicted to competitor data like they need to know what their competitors are doing at any time as rapidly as possible and seem to make every business decision based on that. Or they loathe, I almost saw that, but all they loathe it. They, they don't want to go anywhere near it. They see it as, um, often these guys actually have been burnt by uh, poorly implemented reprices in the past. Uh, and so the reaction is, no, I'm just going to do my cost plus, screw the rest of it. it it's all right. Um what you're really trying to do, though, the core business problem you're trying to solve is to understand the marketplace that you're competing in. If you're selling products that are that, that aren't own brand or aren't unique, like not like your Apple iPhone or whatever that we talked about in the previous podcast, but you want to understand part of the puzzle for where you can sell at and how you can price is what other people are doing, right? So that that's the core, often the core commercial question, I would say. The interesting thing is that we've spoken about this before. Is it weaves into a lot of other business processes? Um, so it's it's heavily linked into kind of your Google search. Uh, I mean, it's a core metric. Price is a core metric. We've spoken about that before, but in, in Google, is a core factor in conversion. Um, not necessarily um, kind of 
well, conversion through to your website, not not necessarily sealing the deal on on buying, but it definitely is. You have to be competitive to be in the right zone to get people even in, in to look at your your website. So, um, there's kind of a user journey piece, and then there's a internal commercial competitive benchmarking piece. Yeah, and I think I mean just just for the sake of today, we're not going to focus on necessarily the dangers or or why retailers mm-hmm. might have been burnt through the use of competitor data in the past um we'll, we'll save that for maybe another day and actually we have covered it on we have covered yeah, sort of the pros and cons of competitor yeah, data I, in the past I say, but i've got sidetracked as i often do is that it is a really cool piece like you need to you're, you're kind of fighting blind um if you're selling if you have a supplier and you're selling goods you should know what other people are doing um because you need to just strategically to understand where, how your business sits, how safe your business is in the marketplace, whether other people are being naughty. We can go into that a bit as well. But um, a lot of suppliers use competitive data, scrape data to ensure um, people are maintaining their price, the price rules that they're setting down. So it, you you should be looking at it. How, how like it's extremes and the rest of it, but it, it is a core component. I mean, if you're going to take uh, a simplistic view of your inventory, you know, if if you're selling kind of commodity-based products, actually, even if you're not selling commodity-based products, okay, you know, there is a, each product that you sell has some form of price point in people's minds or the market sets that price Mm -hmm. point, right? So therefore, by you listening to the market and using that data, that gives you an indication of, um, of what where you should where you should be okay mm-hmm. and absolutely some people in the world in the world of e-commerce they they vote with their clicks with their credit cards based on what price on a certain percentage of your inventory based on what price you have on your website it's, de- it's deeper than that your if your price isn't right your advert won't get shown so whether people will click on your site or, or not is kind of by the by if they can't click on your site to begin with so yeah, and that and that's alludes to what you said earlier about um, the Google algorithms and so forth. That that your your share of impression, if you're in certain products, if that are market sensitive, um, the algorithm dis- doesn't disallow you, but it doesn't promote you as highly as other products if you're not yeah. within the range of not within the range of the market price. So you know, there's lots of kind of nuances to this. I mean, one that 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 I'll throw into the mix um, before before we kind of move on is around product selection and using it less less on the form of what price your competitors are selling at, but also using it to identify what's the overlap in products. What what's competitor A, competitor B, competitor C selling that I'm selling? Also, what are they selling that I'm not selling? And then that enables you to maybe I don't know uh, support your marketing spend. So you might want to build out a certain niche or a certain sub segment that that makes you in your marketing to to the outside world that makes you differentiate yourself from your competitors. So so not only are you use can you use competitor data to kind of be a bit more tightly coupled with the market. You can also use it to dif- help you differentiate from the market. There's there's mm-hmm. there's there's two sides yeah, to the and coin. You can also like. But the, the the people storefronts for for one of the some give a lot away about the nature of their business. You can monitor stock levels and prices to get an indication of their turnover or their profitability. Uh, we know we work with people who who've done that previously. And it's quite smart because it's uh, it's really important to 
to know, well, they're running a completely different strategy to me. There is no point me trying to compete with them because, I don't know, they're VC-backed or uh, they're a publicly listed company and have a completely different kind of business goal. They're, they're super growth-orientated and non-profitability focused. Like, um, if you were, I mean, just to talk about Blackhead a, a, a little bit, we're venture-backed. Right, so and that factor, and we're capital efficient, so that kind of factors into how we run a business and all the rest of it. And you could look at another pricing company, and they might have a, a completely different strategy. They could, for example, be like a uh, for like a, 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 a smaller business that does one thing incredibly well and just focuses on on that, and that's their core product. And they can look at the range of stuff we do and think, well, we're just going to beat them here. And it's um, it's exactly the same in product selection in that uh, if you you can't go like if you're a small guy you, or a small shop you can't go up against Amazon and run the same model right because you don't have the distribution or the rest of it but you may have cornered the market on certain products that people really trust you on and that and this is kind of what you were lead, alluding to in kind of differentiation and using it that way right yeah absolutely absolutely so um you know i mean without without laboring the point too much i mean you might do you might do some competitor research and identify that there's one supplier that's changing prices you know there, i was going to say as much as amazon but you know uh, let, let's shoot for amazon on average they change prices eight times a day you might identify mm -hmm. another retailer that's in your in your space that's i don't know changing it 10 times a day or six times a day right and 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 you might decide well actually i just haven't got the resources or or i don't have the appetite to go that or, in or that intraday my customers yeah. and it pisses them off yeah exactly exactly <laughs> exactly but it but, but these but these are the kind of learnings that that you can get from competitor data that's not just about the price yeah okay yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the it's the additional extra benefits of using of using competitor data so um so i think let, let's draw a line under why people would be interested in competitor data and there's lots of other resources on our on our blog and on our um on our on our podcast uh which can talk which go into this in more detail and look at the pros and cons and and and, and alike so let's move on and look at competitor product matching and i mean just to just to touch upon it we get asked time and time again okay how do you how you know you're making a pricing decision off what your other competitors are selling that product at how do you know you're making the right decision and more often than not think questions like how do you know it's an exact match how do you know it's a like for like match so how, should we talk about should we talk about what we mean by let's talk about what we mean by an exact match first of all so to you rob what is an exact match yeah, this is a can of worms. Um, so <laughs> I'm talking about exact match. I'm not yeah, talking about sort of. Still, I'm talking exact match. Worms. But um, exact match is exactly the same product, right? Um, not to, just not to talk about how you try and solve it for now, but what that means is that the um, two spheres experiment. You can't you can't tell them apart. Right, in that like product A equals product B, the properties are the same, it is the same product, same supplier, same whatever. That for me is an exact match. I mean I'm just I've just looked at my uh looked at my desk to try and pick up something which might which might support this support this example. So um I've got some batteries here. Okay. They are uh energizer batteries, max plus power seal technology, triple A 
eight, other batches eight, are available. Yeah, other batches are available. An eight pack, okay, uh, probably not to be sold separately. And this has various barcodes on it. It's got a barcode on the back. Um, you know, it's it's got a logo from a named brand. It's got various identifications, you know, uh, symbols on it. So an exact match would be this Absolutely, all those credentials, name, product name, description, uh, barcode, uh, all of the identifiers being exactly the same in a, from another retailer, that for me is an exact, exact match. Okay. Yeah, yeah, there's, because um, there's two points here, there's what's an exact product match and what's the kind of exact tech and how do you, how do, you do it, which is what you're, you're getting into, but like... Um, I think it really can just just to answer it conceptually, you have an exact match, which is the same product, and then you have things like substitute products, which would be Duracell versus. We're coming to that. We're coming to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, you, but that's the um, but that's the first because the first thing is what is an exact match? An exact match is the same product. The follow up is how do you know if it's an exact match? And then this is where it gets more challenging. Because <laughs> this is when we get into the world of like for like matching, or mm. um, you know, so you could you could argue. I mean, this is um, what it, what is this is an energizer brand, right? To stay mm. with these batteries examples, you can have exactly the same pack from Tesco's selling. Sorry, um, well, I suppose you can have it from Tesco's, which is a retailer. I was thinking more Duracell. Uh, you could have you could have something like a Tesco own brand or a Sainsbury's own brand. Uh, set of batteries that exactly the same number of batteries uh, I mean the, the, but then but then the specifications might be sort of different like you know how, how long life is it or uh, you know how many hours of power yep. does it give yeah, you yeah, yeah, and yeah. so and so forth okay Brand so yeah so technically okay from 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 just again not not looking in the eyes of the consumer here technically mm-hmm. they are not exact matches yep. but they are like for like matches. Now, if we peel back the curtain further, okay, let's throw the consumer in. The consumer might not consider those like for like matching because the consumer mm-hmm. might say, well, hang on a minute. I, you know, I know Energizer batteries have a better brand name than Tesco's aren't exactly known for their battery prowess. They're a, yep. they're a yeah, supermarket yeah, yeah. company. So they're not, that's not a like for like match. So you kind of, I hope I picked. I probably didn't pick the best example of batteries for best no, example. Pick, but you've picked a really good one because you've picked probably one of the like most subtle in in the. And I think we're going to get into this later in terms of differentiating. At a kind of uh, if you're a store at the e-commerce level versus at the consumer level, because um, you're bang on in that like. For whatever reason, I think mostly because they used to have the little thing that you could press on the side to see how much power was left in it. I've got a really strong brand association with Duracell. And I'm sure that's just because of the amount of money they have paid in advertising over the years, if I'm completely honest, because they still do it. I still get, I used to be TV ads. It's not YouTube ads. I don't really own anything that takes batteries anymore, but um, it, it, I, I really have like, Oh, what what do I think the best battery brand is? Duracell. Why? No idea. Right? Advertising, largely. And again, Energizer. That's another strong one. And then you get into anything other than those two. I kind of start feeling a bit weird about. 
and a Tesco owned brand or some of the like the the ja- Japanese big electronics companies make them. I'm sure that they're great batteries. I just don't know anything about them. And uh, this is this is this is the really interesting point, really, in that from a buying thing, even if the own brand batteries are substantially cheaper, which they tend to be, I'd probably buy the more expensive ones because of that brand association. It's bizarre. Now I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> but that's because the 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 elements that you've been exposed to throughout your life, you know, and, and not just the battery adverts, you know, your way of buying might be more conditioned towards if there's any fear or uncertainty or doubt, mm-hmm. you you're you're perfectly prepared to to spend a bit more to to hopefully de-risk that 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 purchase, right? Maybe I'm 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 not trying to put words into your mouth, but maybe no, I'm, think that's I'm thinking that. And I think the interesting thing is, I think that risk is like artificial. Um, we're going off on a tangent a bit here, but like this is more kind of consumer buying behaviour. But like that, I've never really thought about this before. But like, there's, a, there's an example of a product where I have absolutely no idea. I have anecdotal evidence that like Duracell ones did last longer with my Xbox controller, <laughs> which is which is very important when you're playing late at night. You don't want to be able to. It's so frustrating actually because those things rinse batteries. But um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, let's get back. <laughs> but I think, but I think, I think it was important to touch upon that because these are the conundrums that that you know we have. We have a wide range of listeners. Some are consumers. Some are some are retailers, right? Uh, some some aren't even in the sector, and some are just innocent bystanders. But bystanders. But you know, you, if you're to make a pricing decision based off of market data or competitor data. You know, these are the types of questions and types of philosophical questions that you need to get over in order to implement your pricing strategy effectively. And I hope we'll we'll go we'll we'll touch upon these um, a bit later on, subject to timing, because I feel that we might have opened up a can of worms, we might run out of time here. So, um, uh, so so there's a whole host of reasons, and that's why a lot of the time when we're engaging with uh, in trials of our software that helps e-commerce companies make pricing decisions, a lot of the initial questions are, oh, I'm a bit nervous about automated pricing because I want to make sure that you're always going to make the price, you're always going to make a decision off off an exact match because then then I'm then I'm under no doubt that you're making the right move. Okay, mm-hmm. but what I'm, I, you know, and I, I, I that's absolutely a, a good place to start because I think you know you 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 take all possible ambiguity out of of the equation, um, but without trying to give the conclusion away, I'm going to hopefully try and change the direction of conversation a bit and get you to think more broadly because, like the buying behaviour that we just spoke about from a from a battery point of view, there's more to it there's than just simply the price of the exact match there's the price of the comparable products the alternatives that are available okay and also we'll come on to it as mr google but we'll come on to that in a moment okay so mr google mrs google uh, and their children uh, <laughs> uh, so how how do you, how does a uh, a company like ours go about collecting this competitive data so how, how do we go about matching and i think it might be worth starting with with Google, right? In terms of yeah, yeah, products so available on the Google Shopping Marketplace, how do we go about collecting competitor data? Yeah, or like I would say, or or Bing, or sing, a single kind of 
user path. So the, so the idea, the, the reason businesses like ours work is that we do something that's scalable, which means we have to kind of find one process that we can repeat and is similar across all clients. And so what we do is really mimic a user journey. We Google a product, and then what we Google uh, basically determines the accuracy. But really, all companies like us do at that kind of for the if so, if someone says they provide kind of Google Shopping feed data or Amazon data or Bing data or whatever, they are just automating the process of using those engines. So we just make a lot of searches and then harvest the results. Um, it's really that simple. So uh, when you're saying, I don't know, product X, I don't know, the stupid Hitachi TV that did my back in, um, we just effectively would Google that and take the price list down that comes back. Um, so we'll drill into that a little bit in a minute. But the, the other end of it, so, th so that's the kind of like SaaS play scalability thing. The other end of it is that you can do kind of bespoke searching. So if you've got uh, a few key competitors, this is more relevant often in things like travel and tourism, where um, I'm trying to think of examples I can actually talk about. But like, so so if someone if someone's running transportation, um, th those routes there are usually only a few people on those routes, whether it's like buses or. Uh, coaches or, or ferries or, or whatever and so you know who your competitors are so you can you can build kind of software to scrape your competitors websites and that works up to probably about five or six uh, but the, the issue is with that is that you have to in effect build bespoke software for every you, you can kind of tune bits of it but it really is a bespoke setup for every competitor website that you want to do because the paths are different like um the user journey is different. The kind of prices and buttons are in a different place. And you can do clever things with images and the rest of it, but really it's a much harder problem than kind of repeating one search. Oh, so it just costs you more money. People will do it for you. Um, yeah, so let's... Sorry, yeah. So I was going to say, so let's let's take it one stage at a time. So if we come back to, to, to Google Shopping, um, mm -hmm. all intents and purposes, uh, a supplier, you know, if I understand rightly, is of, of competitor data is putting in a search term into the Google Shopping search box, getting a set of results, and then and then and then extracting that data from the web page, putting it into a database, and then surfacing that to to the end retailer, whether that be in a in an Excel spreadsheet or whether that be through through a through an online web portal such as such as Black Curve. Yeah. Now, if we're to look at exact matching, okay, uh, Google has uh, well, I mean, it's not it's not a Google um, uh, ID, but Google works uh, on GTINs primarily, uh, which is a global trade identification number. I hope I've got that acronym mm -hmm. right. Okay, uh, yeah. and that is a recognised number, pretty much internationally in 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 a lot of countries. Um, each country has a has a body that kind of is the um, overseer, if you will, <laughs> will of the. Of, of implementation of this so that there aren't you know it's trying to minimize duplicates it's trying to be the gatekeeper mm -hmm. of it and the reason that gtins help is because that helps you get and, and it doesn't always because some people if you if a retailer uploads the wrong gtin it, it 
but Google does actually yeah. penalise this later. Yeah, but that allows an exact match, doesn't it? So you, you yeah, know that if you put so the GTIN into Google, it allows an exact match. Yeah, G- exactly. So GTIN is an example of product identifier. Um, what product identifier is used does vary a bit from industry to industry. So other people use kind of manufacturer part numbers. If they're more closer to the supplier, there is a very tyre-specific one that we've come across. It's that I can't remember the name of, but it's literally some person's name because they... I want to say something else but i think it's different uh, fluid mechanics in my head for some reason (laughs) but if we state we state so that that's how you get that's how you get an exact exact match now uh top tip before we go any further excuse me i'm about to cough (coughs) top tip if we go any further um if you are struggling to find a product okay and someone's asked you to find a product to buy from them all right and you, you you're really struggling to find it online try and get the GTIN or it's out of stock in one place. Okay. And actually you want to find a better price, get the GTIN and it's generally buried in the product description of a company, whack it into Google shopping and that will help you find a, find it a cheaper, cheaper place than somewhere else. It's really interesting. If you found the product in Google shopping, go on the shopping page, find the thing that says GTIN at the bottom and then search for that and you'll get a different set of results. I actually found my girlfriend's Christmas present. She wanted some, so this is a shout out. I'll take a Birkenstock sponsorship. <laughs> um, so I got these for my birthday, and they're a Birkenstock clog because they're because we're indoors all the time. They've got kind of like arches, and the rest of it are really nice. And Jess wanted some, and the whole world is sold out of loungewear. But if you GTIN search, you find a load of random websites that are listing them, and not uh, so far along the kind of Google optimization chain, and then you can get them. The funny thing is it turns out that a lot of people in e-commerce that work in e-commerce shop like this because we were talking to one of our clients and he uses um, uh, kind of the long tail search term. So he comes from the more from the marketing end. So he'll search for, um, and we're actually going to get into this in terms of kind of what else you can search for, but like this kind of next layer where you tie in product name, brand, color, blah, 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 and stack all the product properties together. And that's also a really another good way of doing this so it does work in practice right like we're out there scalping christmas presents (laughs) so there's our top tip so so that's how ultimately you you're you're trying to get a unique identifier for another way to describe it to enable you to get an exact match now sorry it is worth saying that I don't know whether you're going to go on to this but having a unique identifier does not guarantee an exact match Yes, right. because the Google feed runs off your merchant center and it depends on how um, uh, how proactive uh, or, or how, how good the company is, that retail company is, of, of uploading GTINs. Also, some people do try to piggyback. So mm-hmm. if there's a GTIN that's selling particularly well and a retailer doesn't have that particular product, they assign the wrong GTIN to that product purposely to get picked up. Now... Again, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. That will come to bite you in the ass later for that retailer that does it because you will subsequently be penalised. But it's just something to watch out for that if you happen to scrape data on that day and that price is wildly off and you're making a you're just making a pricing decision with no safeguards, there is the potential for you to for you to make kind of an incorrect yeah, incorrect I, decision. I, I do want to hammer this home a bit because I, I think this bit is really important. And a, a lot of the time when reprices go wrong, uh, it's because people haven't done the due diligence at this data end. So the, the key ones are, as you said, 
I think the key one is people mislabeling. I think a lot of it isn't malice. Um, it's just people are copying and pasting things and then they get things wrong. Um, there are, like you say, people spoofing. So there are problems with um, kind of products manufactured either in the same factory or in a different factory, but not with the brand name on it. Uh, and people will kind of mimic that with the, with the GTIN. Um, the other one I had is pack sizes. So people will often, so, so a GTIN really should contain it, but people will often use the same GTIN for 1, 5, 10, 20. So if you see a, a large spread, um, and actually you can, oh, it's quite interesting if you're a maths geek, but like data geek, you get a like a bumpy distribution because you get the peaks around the one, the five, the 10 and the 20, because everyone, the people are using the same GTIN for that whole product range. So if you're matching minimum price and you've got a 10 pack, make sure you're not matching a one pack, right? Like, um, and, and then there's the final one, which is Google is trying to help the consumer because, especially for the, for the Google search stuff, if, if like they're not doing it to make it easy for you to get your competitor's data, they're doing it to suggest products to a consumer who's looking for something. So they're already doing some kind of matching and optimization behind the scenes. So you might just get Google trying to be helpful with a substitute product or a different product or a product they're trying to push for whatever reason. I don't know anything about how that all links up. Yeah, that's exactly right. And this is probably a good good point to move on to uh, another way of trying to get to an exact match, but also moving into a territory of a like for like or a Google recommended recommended match. So um, some retailers come to us and say, Black Curve, we don't have GTINs or I want an extra level of confidence above and beyond just, just GTIN. Mm -hmm. So the other way that you can do it is, um, and we do this as well, is that into the into the Google Shopping, you you basically put in um, any string of search terms yeah. and use that to get to get the results. So it's exactly the same as putting in a GTIN into the Google search term. You could do a string like uh, product name, um, brand name, and mm -hmm. I don't know part code or, um, or 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 the one that is the buzzword at the moment is manufacturing part number or NPM number. Mm -hmm. You could do NPM number on its own instead of GTIN if that if that's yeah. all you have. Yeah, yeah. And it's exactly the same same that you get a set of results uh, from from Google. It's surfaced. They're extracted, and we 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 extract uh, from 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 Google, and then we process that in a database, and again surface it into into our into our platform. Now. This is where we start to get into the territory of is it a match because you're, the risk that it's not an exact match exponentially increases at this stage. Okay, Now, that's because the more ambiguous search terms you put in, there's the possibility, there's, there's almost like there's this higher possibility of stuff of stuff sneaking in. Okay, um, because Google might try to be clever and might trying to might trying to recommend. But however, you know, we've done multiple tests uh, across multiple sectors, both with eyeballing it and also both algorithmically of checking the quality of the data. Uh, and you still get very high accuracy score of using, you know, like product name and description and so forth. Now, that gets you the data. How how can how can we make sure that that data is 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 right i mean other than other than necessarily uh going through line by line and going yep that i agree that that picture is the same as that picture that picture is the same as that picture how else can we test that that 
that the data is Alg- correct. Algorithmically, it's hard. Like at, at scale, it is really difficult because you're having to shop. Um, so the the, simp- the the real simplest way, which I've got a bet with one of our internal guys that I think I'm going to win, is that I still think top and tailing. Just saying, ignore everything above and below this will get you most of the way there, no matter what what you do. Because I do have a massy argument for it, but like you've got you you end up with a distribution in effect, and then the the width of that distribution varies based on your search term in in, in price, right? So if you're looking for an exact price match to what you have, and so really by um, what they call Windsor Uprising, but like clipping the sides of the distribution off and being clever around how you do that is quite a smart approach because really what you're saying is that like my price is here, I've got a competitive zone either side of it and I'm only going to look at people in that unless it's, I don't know, something I really need to, to do about. Because that also takes up things like, which we didn't mention actually, people, do you want to follow your competitor's discounts? Right? Um, that that kind of thing. Suddenly, something's dropped by fifty percent. Do you want to follow that? Some people do, some people don't. Various product to product, uh, whatever. So the, the simplest way: look at the price distribution. Um, the second thing is that, like a lot of the things we talked about, Google uses as well. So GTIN brand name, kind of they in their advertising block they have a number of properties which they require and this is what Philip alluded to in that they, they also actively penalise you if that data is bad or doesn't line up with what they've seen from your site So, um, and that data can give you a good indication whether it's like for like right? because we uh, we don't do a lot of fashion fortunately, we have, we have some fashion people we work with but um, that gets tricky when you get into kind of colour size um, all, all those kind of variables uh, of which price and especially discount, like there's a lot of discounting in fashion as well that can, can spread across and, and suddenly you're in this world of hurt where you're trying to um, you're trying to match really quite disparate uh, products with like large, I'm trying to not be really massy here but I'll be a little bit massy but like um, combinatorial spaces because they have so many properties that they can vary so much. If I'm selling um, like a 32-inch TV by a certain brand, um, I'll, I'll worry there from a competitive data perspective is really whether it's the right brand and model uh, for that 32-inch TV, which is quite straightforward. Um, then if you think about a trainer, uh, that has got to be size, style, colour, um, a whole host of other detailed details icons i don't know and the rest of it and suddenly that becomes a much harder thing to guarantee like for like match on than something that we can just get the meta data from google and say well they're the same brand they're the same size they've got the same parts in them <laughs> blah 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 blah, blah. Um. no absolutely and i think you know that that gets you a hell of long the w- along the way there and then it depends on how much degree of accuracy you want to go you want to go beyond that i mean you could do certain things like uh you know avoid you know to get over the over the concept of pack size you could say remove any data that has the word pack in it for example which means that okay fine you don't you don't necessarily reprice off the back of that but you're not going to be at risk of 
of doing a price change from a uh, a twenty pack versus a versus a one pack to you know to give you to give you mm. kind of a sense and and ultimately I mean we've also spoken it at, at length in previous podcasts. Google prefers you making small incremental nudges and also this if you make small incremental nudges in your prices you're more likely to learn what is the price what is the right price point whereas if you're doing massive swings and constantly repricing up and down not only you're going to get penalized in terms of your impression share but also you're going to find it a lot harder to go what the hell caused that change in in volume sold you know you, you're going to be you're going to really struggle to to get that and know and, and know what what it was that caused that uh caused that, that change in demand. i think it's a really key point because it's worth stressing that data is always gonna quote unquote have a risk of i was gonna say be bad but have a risk of being bad right there's always a probability that uh, a scraped data point is incorrect and so having proper safeguarding further down your pipeline just just to catch it so you're not passing on that incorrect data okay so this price has moved like 70 percent 80 percent uh we'll flag that we'll look at that that needs a that needs a manual intervention to make that price change um it's it's, it's just sensible biz ops for, for me really and rod like and a lot of people we work with tend to tend to work like that in with with reprices the people i think you, who do it well in the Anything in the middle of the distribution, like 5% price moves, yeah, send it through. Anything above that, I want to see, and I'm going to top and tail, because there's either something wrong with the data, or more interestingly, your competition is doing something that you need to know about. And this goes all the way back to, to what you were saying at, at the start about uh, th this other information. You get Why, why are they suddenly dropping the, the price by 40%? We weren't expecting that. What's going on here? There's also some other technical aspects uh, to, 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 for those techies out there that want to know how, how you go about collecting uh, uh, competitor data. Um, location plays a big, a big mm -hmm. factor in it. So if I'm, um, uh, if I'm searching for, for products up in Edinburgh, which is in Scotland, if you're not a geographer, uh, versus, versus London, for example, which is in England, I think most people probably get that one, um, you're likely to get, if we're searching for exactly the same product, you're likely to get different search results okay so therefore um so how do we get around that uh, us, as, us as a competitor data supplier ultimately we need to make sure that we have infrastructure in multiple geographic locations so that when we're doing the search term uh, it knows right okay the results i'm returning are from scotland the results i'm returning are from northern ireland the results i'm returning are from from the southeast okay um, i mean our data does indicate that that there's less variability within country um uh you know in terms mm -hmm. of ip addresses versus durham which is in the north versus london but 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 there is likely to still be some 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 minor variability if you have a particular presence so in a certain is, area this is really really interesting i think because it depends whether you're talking about price or advertising mm. um so from our research price varies very little like intra-country is that right within within yeah. a country and we we did that we tested this we span up servers in we did the like most of the u.s states and just kind of clocked through same product um what, what do we find and that makes sense right because actually if you're running a just doing heavily regional pricing it, it, it's uh it's difficult to maintain it's a lot of overhead and also it's had quite a lot of bad press 
historically um especially like some things you can you can do in a subsidy like london's always more expensive for food and drink and, and whatever but when it when it's kind of logistically it's harder like if you're amazon and your surprise supply centers distribution centers in germany anyway it's harder to justify so, so that's point one so the price doesn't vary what does vary if you're scraping is the ads that you have access to like who's advertising um which is i kind of i think what you're leading to there and that's 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 the really interesting point now something we we we've learned along this journey really um because you have to you have to understand how the marketing like the google the google google ads world works and how that marketing world works to do it effectively because you need to it's not just location it's time of day uh, it's all the bid terms basically will affect who you're seeing so often we'll get well i know my competitor i kind of saying well why aren't you picking up this competitor selling this product we know they're doing it um and if your scrape is misconfigured and um, this is why people like to do multiple scrapes multiple times a day to get kind of more coverage you could miss them completely because i don't know you you set them up to run your scrape at midnight and someone's not advertising them because it's it's not worth it they're turning their feed off and on dynamically um so so that that kind of subtlety is where it becomes really important just from a technical implementation one i would say if you're looking for a supplier um other other people are available but one of the key questions i would ask is around coverage and when are they scraping and how are they doing it because people uh they're, they everyone says they're automated right um and some are fully automated we're fully automated others have humans in in the wheel and that is actually a buying decision because i would argue that the guys with the humans in the wheel can be more accurate than us uh we we solve a, a general scalable problem and that if you wanted a bespoke site scrape for example uh and that these prices have to be exact if you're in that world we i would say go and talk to someone else but not the guys for you um but the thing to ask then is what's your coverage we're 24 7 365 right that um would give or take server downtime and the rest of it but like other people aren't because of the human element they don't work weekends or uh public holidays or that kind of stuff which in e-com man if you were working like cyber weekend christmas like that's dangerous territory because these are the times where well traditionally i'd say most price turbulence but not this year because no one was really discounting but n normally this this is the these are the times when people are, are buying and so if you're not doing your competitive scraping if you're doing it friday monday right you've missed saturday sunday price changes and now i think when people are this is a big change post covid when people are bored at home um i used to shop a lot i'm sure everyone does at, at work you got another tab open like have a browse because the weekend you're out doing stuff I ain't out doing stuff at the minute, right? So um, I'm much more likely to buy at the weekend. So this coverage question, I think, becomes really key, both locationally, um, where are their servers at, where are they pinging, and kind of how frequently are they doing it? Are, are they going to get everyone? And it, it really is worth saying that there is a price associated to all of this as well, right? In that, like, scraping is um, it is expensive to maintain, the more accurate you want so we 
and um our scraping service, I think, relative to the market is is kind of at the cheaper end because we're doing the automated thing. But if you want to go up to the bespoke, uh, we're, we're like hundreds of pounds and you can get up to the multiple thousands, depending on how many SKUs you want, where they are, how much custom work's required. And at that point, you're almost better off going to the guys in India that will just kind of build your whole suite that you can then run internally. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't... I don't... I mean, we're conscious of time and we're not going to go into kind of the pros and cons of doing, you know, bespoke versus versus Google Shopping. But I mean, just to kind of um, summarize very quickly on that element, you get very good coverage from Google Shopping, especially over the last few years that that Google has changed the terms and made it um, more readily accessible and easier for, and I think a lot of a lot of the the starting points for Google Merchant Center are free, so that and so that you update your your products online. I um, think this is really important actually because we're an e-commerce podcast, and I would say in e-com there is no point doing, uh, not no point, but like in the if you're thousands of SKUs, there is very little point doing anything other than Google Shopping. Really, you may want to monitor a close competitor or two, but I don't think it's worth it. And it comes down to what we said at the start. What's your buyer's journey? Where are they going through? Who goes direct to a website anymore, right? Um, and and if you find people are going direct to your website, you don't need competitor data, do you? Because you because you've, you've got you've got the buying power. You've got the buying power. So so I think so I think that's it's it's working out what the what the customer journey is, um, and then working out how much coverage do I get from Google Shopping and then how can I use that data to, to kind of inform inform my decisions? I mean, just, just conscious of, um, as we move on move on to mm. the last the last point, um, because I think we'll, we'll stop there from a bespoke data point because we're recommending that, that, that you, use, you use Google Shopping. So there's not, there's not too yeah, much, yeah, too much point sure. looking, at, um, looking at bespoke scrapes. Um, but this is where you need lots of humans involved that have to eyeball it. As much as you systemize, you know, robotically crawl certain websites have put search terms in the website robotically crawl it algorithmically check it fundamentally pretty much all of them have a human that's monitoring that and 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 anything that's quote unquote uh -uh, uh -uh, is raised and flagged to a human that's why you know i've seen quotes for bespoke scrapes going in the kind of hundreds of thousands of pounds yeah. you know yeah, so yeah. so you so know that, yeah that, that really was just the that, that's the core point i was um trying to raise at, which i think you've done a better job of is that like I don't think in e-com you need to be spending your money there, right? I, I, I think the spending a few hundred quid on Google shopping data and then working with your supplier or doing it internally to filter that and really understand that data is a much better approach than targeting specific people. What, what happens if you add another competitor to that list, right? Like it, it just it doesn't work in this industry in the same way as it does elsewhere. Uh, absolutely and and the last point is that uh, I, I don't know if you're going to agree with this but i'm going to go for it and see we'll have right, a we'll have a bit see. of a debate is to think differently and and a lot of the times i touched upon at the the beginning that that a lot of retailers are saying i've i only want to make a decision off an exact 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 match i want to know if if you're comparing energizer uh pack of eight with with another energizer pack of eight and whilst you know i think absolutely that's a starting point I want to encourage retailers to somehow think outside that box a bit and come back to also what you said about the user buying journey. And the reason that I'm saying that is 
how do people buy for your how do people typically buy from you are you finding most of the inbound traffic's coming from google or google shopping in which case they're putting in lots of different terms they're unlikely to be geeky like us and putting in a GTIN in the search term therefore they're going to get an exact match they're going to put in batteries to stick on this example okay what cert, what results come back when you put batteries Okay. Therefore, in the eyes of the consumer, there's a high probability that these particular products are Google is suggesting other search engines available. Google is searching that suggesting that these are best for you. Therefore, when the user, oh sorry, when the user, when the customer is making their decision to buy, this is what they consider is competition. Okay, right. They might be slightly different. They might be a different pack size. They might be a different brand. They might be an inferior brand. They might be a more expensive brand. But fundamentally, this is what the user, the I keep saying user, this is what the consumer is is saying, uh, is 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 being presented with, and is also assuming what what my matches are. Therefore, when you're making decisions, you've got to think a bit more broadly of just not just making pricing decisions necessarily off the exact match. You've got to start thinking around making decisions based on the wider context. And the reason for this, okay, is, 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 I'm going to say twofold. We'll see, we'll see if I get to to get to twofold. Um, One of them is because actually only 30% of the time when a user clicks on that product, do they buy the product they purchased from you? And that's why working out what the user journey is, is, is so important, okay? Because you, can, you, you need to identify that. And, and, and actually, you might transpire that, actually, I only need to be in the market price uh, and watch the market on these products because that's, that's what people are using in their mind of, right, they're on the money for these. They click on that link and then they go to your website and subsequently they then, they then buy something else. The second reason, so it is twofold because I have remembered what I was going to say. The second reason is because um, Google's algorithm talks a lot around and is focused a lot around market price. And they build that market price not only on how, how, what degree are you away from the average the average price based on GTIN, but also the whole search term, the whole, the whole, all kind of, they also use clicks and, and what people are clicking on uh, subsequently after after searching for that product and therefore that's why I would encourage you to think around the wider product sets that that come based on these search terms do you is that, am I being controversial obvious well, I, I don't know I feel I feel like I'm not a lot of people agree with this I don't know <laughs> I think I think it's really interesting I it, I think it depends what you're saying right and I'll, I'll explain why so do I think your competitor data supplier should be making those decisions for you. Um, no, in the I I think that, uh, and I'll I'll go and I'll explain why. If I if and I'm not really talking here about people like us that kind of do more of a holistic play, but I'm talking about if you go out and you want competitive matches, um, you need to keep that data set pure. That needs to be gold standard. So. Uh, and as someone whose whole job is data, you want to be able to, you don't want to pre-process because I can guarantee that you want to ask a question that doesn't line up <laughs> and then you can't because you've aggregated the bloody data. Um, if I had a penny for that, I would have raised more money than Black Curve, I think. But like, <laughs> that, that's um, that, that's lesson one. So you want to keep the data as raw as possible initially, right? Do I then think you should be doing building in more sophistication into what's an exact match absolutely right 
but I think it's at a product by product level, and possibly at a campaign by campaign level. In the, um, I think I've been thinking about the batteries as we've been doing this podcast, and I think it's a really good example of where you want an exact for exact match, because I probably only buy, I'm only looking at Duracell and Energizer batteries, and um, they will be within a range probably. But realistically, I'm only looking at Duracell, so you only should be matching on the exact match for Duracell and what your competitors are doing at, at that point. If we get into something like, um, yeah, what a glass is always a with a, a free coaster, but a glass is always a really good example. I call like this glass maybe is less one because it's got cool handholds. Um, but <laughs> if you share your glass, which is I think a fairly standard, yeah, bit, yeah, a like, bit dull. This is yeah. IKEA. Uh, I like yeah, IKEA, I was say but it's, it's an IKEA one. Cheap and cheerful. Uh, there are a lot of suppliers making a lot of glasses that look like that, and so a GTIN match there become when your pricing becomes less useful, because you could be getting undercut by twenty percent by a different supplier. And what's that saying is that if you want to offer a glass that looks like that, um, and you can't compete with that product, you should be switching your product out for that other product given by that supplier, or even if you can and it's cheaper, you should be doing that because you can switch out for an exactly the same product and increase your margin. So that that's where I think y- you become correct. But I think the key point is that you need to keep the data as pure as possible to allow you to kind of segment and make a number of decisions. Um, and then the, the other thing that is interesting with the Google example is that it's really worth stressing that Google does not view products the same way that black curve views products so we we price on a product basis google looks at kind of campaigns and individual um my mind's gone blank for the back but like individual people within that audience oh yeah they look at they build audiences and then match that audience and that's how they build their, their kind of the adverts out and that you can map products to that kind of audience and click-through rate and the rest of it, but it's actually two very different ways of seeing the world. Um, and so that's really important to bear in mind in that there's probably a lot of useful information in, in that, but, but it will be very industry-specific, and it's unlikely that kind of a third-party data supplier will have that level of knowledge to, to really help you do what you're getting at there. Yeah, and I'd agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying, well, I, I, Black Curve solves a lot of your worldly problems, but I, I very much treat Black Curve as an enabler for you to make, make decisions. You know, our, our strap line is we help you make pricing decisions. Okay, so whilst, whilst that can be automated, we're also trying to push you and challenge you so that you don't hit that glass ceiling. Um, and that, that's why that's why I did mention that actually a good starting point is that exact match. And, you know, you've referred to it as making sure that your data is as pure as possible. But I feel that if you, you know, I always feel that if you if you've hit a glass ceiling and you're wondering, right, I've done that, I've ticked that off. I think I've worked out what my competitors are, what my competitor matches are, and I, 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 I need to grow more. I need to test more. This is when you can start to expand your horizons. And so I feel this is if you're at that, that kind of level of maturity, this is when you can start to price test and open up to, well, actually, maybe maybe it's worth picking these products here uh, you know, I'm less I'm less concerned about and 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 expanding my definition of market price and using using the definition of market price based on I don't know just just gen more general terms 
you know, like, I mean, probably two general batteries, but, but, you know, to, to keep, to keep the example simple, using the term batteries as your market price for that decision, rather than, rather than well, I, I the do, exact I do completely agree with that in the, um, I, th I think what, what, what you're alluding to or what I'm getting from this is that it's what we've spoken about before is that you need to tie your pricing heavily into your marketing. So if Google's providing a market price, that's what your benchmark should be. You should be closing that kind of virtuous cycle because that will ensure that um, your pricing isn't hemorrhage, like isn't hammering your ad spend, for for example, just just for like a point of fact thing. Because that that's the that that is where the biggest search engine in the world that kind of provides. I don't know this. I should know this. So I'm going to go find this out. But I don't know how much shopping traffic goes through. Through Google Shopping, like percentage a of lot. the world, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> a, a metric ton. I don't know. Um, if that's what they're benchmarking against, that's what you should be. Whether that's your internal benchmark, I don't know, but you should be aware of it for sure. Like, because I mean, you can monitor. You you then monitor the performance of it, right? You know, if you think mm. if you think about it from your, you know, from your marketing your ad spend, you're constantly using metrics to justify whether your spend yeah. is converting. And exactly the same, you know, if, though, if you're using that ecosystem and those definitions and, and those, uh, you know, those metrics to determine whether or not your ad's effective, this is how you can start to mirror, 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 mirror that in your pricing. And you can write, okay, I, I'm going to do a test. I'm going to expand for these products. I'm going to base my decisions on a different string of search terms. And you, you can monitor, does that change my share of impression? Does that increase my clicks? Does that reduce my cost per click? You know, and that, that, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at, is trying to, yeah, yeah. you know, expand I, I, people's I horizons. I completely agree with that. Because um, I think it's really not well understood how pricing affects especially you're talking about a lot of advertising metrics there and and they are linked but people don't don't line them up very often and you don't think that okay well i've i've made my product more competitive but that's actually negatively affected my ad spend because the amount of margin I have to play within a ROAS, like return on ad spend strategy, is, has now dropped, right? So my bids have to come down. So my share of impressions comes down. And so so my actually my net profitability, while I thought I was going to like make more money by selling shifting boxes cheaper, which is a traditional way, price optimization, may actually not work in a kind of price elastic sense when it should because of your ad spend factor in over here right um fantastic well i think uh, we had a, we had a good debate there i think uh it, it was good I, I i'm glad that i was challenged so uh, at the beginning so you know I, I hope i hope we haven't gone off too much of a tangent on talking about um you know that I, I think we've mentioned google quite a lot today but i think it it is important to to that that you have that explanation of how these ecosystems work in conjunction conjunction with pricing and i hope we've had a we've had a kept a balance between how you go about collecting competitor data and how we go about in this instance we covered more on how you collect competitor data from 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 google shopping uh, but but i think it's important that if you if you don't worry too much about the technical aspects of collecting it and kind of assume that that a provider such as Black Curve's got that got that covered. You then elevate your questions of 
how can I use that more effectively to 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 grow to grow my business? And that's that's primarily what what we've tried to push, or, or I've, I'm that's the drum I'm trying to beat. Certainly at the end of at the end of today's today's podcast. So um, so thank you very much, Rob, joining. We're e-commerce matters. We're available on all major podcasting platforms. We look forward to welcoming you next time. Take care. Goodbye.